Well, if you want to, you can be turning to the book of 1 Peter in the New Testament. We're going to start a new series where we're going line by line through the book of 1 Peter. It'll take us uh, about six weeks to do this. One of the things I encourage you, even as we go through books of the Bible in this uh, manner, is, man, these next few weeks, take time just to kind of live in this book as part of your own devotion, as part of your own reading. Would you just read through 1 Peter over and over? You'll come in and, man, already have your heart ready to receive and hear and learn what God is trying to teach us through this book. Um, I, I love Peter as, as just a character in the Bible anyway. I just I can relate a lot with him and the way he lived his life specifically. Uh, but this particular book, he's writing at the very end of his life. Uh, and what he's doing is it's, it's going out to a group of Gentiles that live in, in what they call Asia Minor. So it's kind of the Tur- like modern-day Turkey. Uh, there's several churches that this letter is trying to make its way to. And what they've started to experience in this area of Asia Minor is some Persecution. Now, this isn't like hardcore getting put to death persecution that they're experiencing right now. It's, it's political, right? Like as they're, as they're kind of trying to live and look like Jesus, they're starting to look different than the culture. And so they're being ostracized. They're kind of being pushed to the side, marginalized for their faith. In fact, I would say it probably looks a lot like what it's starting to look like to be a Christian here. Like, if you're going to be for real about walking in the light, looking like Jesus, being bold for your faith, uh, it's not not as popular anymore. It it doesn't gain you clout. It doesn't make you uh, in a higher position in your job. It doesn't make you in a higher position in your community. Even within the Bible Belt where we're at, it's not necessarily this popular thing anymore. So we're starting to feel some of that pressure, some of that pushing. And and what it's going to do eventually is divide out for us, hey, whose heart is really for the Lord and who is not? I I believe that's what it's it's going to do. And that's what it's doing in this book for these people right now. But what's amazing to me is they say that that Peter probably wrote this in A.D. 62 or 63. Now, what we know about Peter is that he probably died in A.D. 64 to 68, somewhere in there. And so, like, he writes this book about being strong in your faith, uh, standing firm, these promises of this inheritance that God's given us in 62, 63. And then somewhere in the next year to four years, he's put to death for his faith. And I think it's amazing to me that he's writing this, this letter to believers who are feeling some, some persecution that maybe you're not going to be popular for, for what you believe. And then he lives it out to the point of death. If you know anything about history, Peter's in Rome at this point, and uh, there was this great Roman fire. In fact, the whole city was set, set ablaze. Uh, Nero was the emperor back then. A lot of people believe that uh, he, he was the one that actually set Rome on fire, like burned that mug to the ground to clear out space because he wanted to build statues to himself. So that's a lot of, of what they think may have happened. And, and so Rome kind of gets in this uproar. They're hearing this idea that Nero is the one that set Rome on fire. And so he blames it on the Christians. At, at that point in 64 AD, the first like, it is illegal to be a Christian and we're gonna put you to death for believing in Jesus happens. In fact, they talk about Nero throws this big party and he was dipping Christians in wax and tying them up on on posts throughout the city and he lit them on fire and and that was the light for the city. Uh, Peter's put in jail and eventually crucified upside down uh, for his faith by Nero. And and so I say that because I just think it's interesting, right? Like Peter's not just giving these churches words, right? They're, they're starting to feel some oppression, a little bit of ostracization. For, I don't even know if that's a word, but we'll, we'll go with it. Uh, being ostracized for their faith. 
And then within the next year, dude, he, he's seeing Christians burned for a party. And he's going, I, I'll, I'll go to the cross, but you better put me upside down because I, I'm not willing to die in the same manner my, my Savior did. I'm not worthy to do that. And, and so what he's going to, to speak to us this morning, what he's trying to even tell us about this morning, it's not just wordplay. It, it's, a, it's a dude that has been so radically transformed by the love of Jesus. He, he's living in, in that faith. And he's calling you and I to do the same. There's a belief that he's speaking to us that actually will give us strength and perseverance when things are difficult. And so this morning, I want us to look at 1 Peter. We're gonna look at verses one through 12 for today. And let's begin first with just these first two verses, the greeting. Here's what it says. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, before we start breaking down these 12 verses, this last phrase is what he's desiring to do in these people and what I hope you and I will leave, leave with. That the grace of God in Christ towards you and I, the peace that he gives in living out this life will be multiplied. There is more to be had than what we have right now. And he's praying, I want this just to be multiplicative in you. Like it, it just be exponentially growing in you. The grace and the peace of Christ is what's available this morning. And so he begins with some profound things. I don't know if you know the story of Peter, but his, his name was Simon, right? He's a fisherman. Jesus comes, calls him to be a disciple, and then he gives him a new name. It's Cephas is the name he actually gives him, and it means rock, all right? So he gives him this name that, that's really kind of almost uh, counter to how, uh, how Peter was living his life. Like, you're going to be rock. That translates to Peter, and so you're no longer Simon. You, you, are, you are strong, and you're powerful, and you, you have this foundation that, that's going to be built upon for the church. He gives him this name, and yet over and over and over in Scripture, we see Peter doing stupid stuff all the time, wavering, kind of getting outside of the bounds of what the Lord would do. And what's interesting to me, I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but as you read through the Gospels, anytime Peter's doing something dumb, they actually call him by his old name, right? They're like, hey, that's, that's not, that's not the, the Peter that's been transformed by Christ. That, that's Simon. That's the old flesh. I want to just give you a couple examples. Do y'all remember on the night when Jesus was betrayed, uh, they come to take Jesus, and, and Peter's like, man, I'm, he pulls his sword out. He cuts the ear off of this, this servant kid. And in John 18, 10, here's, here's how it tells us this goes down. It says, then Simon Peter having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest servant and cut, cut off his right ear, right? We see this, hey, that, that was Simon. <laughs> that wasn't Peter who's been transformed by Christ. That was Simon being an idiot. Luke twenty two thirty one. this is right when, when uh, Peter's like, dude, I will die before I deny you. And he's like, before the rooster crows, Peter, you're, you're gonna deny me. Satan's come and asked that he would sift you. Look how Jesus speaks to him. Luke twenty two thirty one. Simon, Simon, Behold, Satan demands to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Here's what's interesting. Peter doesn't start this book with, hey, I'm Simon or, uh, no, he says, I'm Peter, the rock, the one that Jesus gave me this new name, and I am his apostle. 
right? He didn't go, I'm one of the disciples. I hung out with Jesus. He goes, no, I'm Peter the apostle, which means what he's stating in here is that he has been given the authority by God to speak on behalf of Jesus to his church. In fact, I was having a conversation with a guy just this week, and he's kind of reading some of the Apocrypha and books that didn't make it into the Bible, and he's kind of struggling with, well, how do we know? Like, how do we know that the books we have are the right ones? What about these other ones that were written by other guys that love the Lord? And it comes back to this reality that even back then, when our, when our Bible, our current Bible was put to get together, the church said, man, we, we recognize that Peter was an apostle. He walked with Jesus. He's, he, he was taught by the resurrected king. He has the authority to speak on behalf of God. Look, we have books for thousands of years since Jesus has come that are written by people that love the Lord. Things that probably you've read and it's been like, man, this has been good for me and this has transformed me and the Lord's used that. But we're not saying it is the same authority as which Peter is speaking with because he was given a new name and he was called an apostle by Christ and given that authority. And so here's what's funny to me, man. Peter, if he wanted to, could have just lived in his failure he could have been like, man, I'm, I'm not Peter the apostle. I'm not the rock. Like, I don't feel like I'm the rock. I've, I've messed up. And, and, and so, yeah, Jesus gave me this name, but do you see all the places I failed in him? I denied him. And he could have let the past really dictate and neutralize his purpose for the future. And yet, this is the beauty of the gospel, man. He's walking in that newfound freedom that is in Christ. He walks with power and certainty and confidence, not in himself, but, but in the real rock, Jesus. And, and it's the same for you and I, church, this morning. Like, you may not have been given a new name by Jesus, but you've been given a new identity. You and I have received a new purpose, a new position in Christ. And I know that you're probably like me in those moments where it's like, I'm not living out what Christ has called me to be. I keep failing him in these certain areas. And the Lord's going, look, the, the, the message of the gospel is that we are not bound by our failures in the past. That he's trying to do something in you that is profoundly more than you could think or ask or imagine. But you've got to walk in this new identity that he's been given you. You are a son. You are a daughter. You are righteous. You are holy according to what Christ has done. And so many people, man, I believe, miss out on the fullness of what Christ is calling you to live your life for, to be about, because you're bound by failures in the past. And Peter's going, man, I, I am Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He knows his identity. And he continues on, and he uses a word after this to who he's writing to. He says, to those who are elect Exiles. Now, this is important. Some of y'all's Bibles uh, may use words like strangers, elect strangers, elect sojourners, elect pilgrims. But the big word that if you underline is, is the word elect. What he's about to start is this idea that if you were in Jesus, if you put your faith in Christ, you said, you are mine, I am yours, then you have become a pilgrim in this world. He has chosen you out and said, I've given you a different kingdom, a different world, a different home that you're a part of. This place is no longer a place that you will fully fit in. And I think if you're in Christ, you should feel that some. There should be a little bit of holy discontentment in you and I that there is not anything outside the doors of this church that have fully satisfied you. That everything that you've chased after eventually fades and is not enough. Why? Why? Because you and I are pilgrims, we are exiles, 
and he has chosen us to be so. It's a privilege now that this place is not our home. And he continues on, he says, you are the elect sojourners, exiles, pilgrims of the dispersion. This just means people that weren't in Jerusalem, in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithany, and all these little areas in Asia Minor. This next part is important. How did they become exiles? How did, how did you become an exile? According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the spirits for obedience to Jesus Christ for the sprinkling of his blood. What he just said is not that God knew one day that you were gonna be a believer and so now you're in exile. Man, he's saying before the foundations of the world were created, he called your name and he said, you're gonna be mine. And I'm gonna give you a new name and a new destiny and a new purpose. And this world will not be your home anymore. If you try to make it your home, it's going to feel like there's this internal struggle within you. I've called you out by name. And that means for you and I that his covenantal faithfulness that we see all the way through the Old Testament, right? That he goes, you're my people. I've called you by my name and I will forever be faithful to you. You and I receive that. It's amazing to me to think that the God of all creation has called us by name before the foundations of the world, and he says, I will be faithful to you forever. Nothing will change that. And so he's trustworthy. And if he is gonna be faithful and he is all powerful and we really believe that in our heart, then I think grace and peace become multiplied in how we live our life. And so we continue on, and he starts to talk about then, what does this look like? Everything he's about to say in verses 3 through 12 is so that grace and peace would be multiplied in you and I. And this, this morning, if you feel a little unrest, if things are difficult, if you feel a little numb to the things of the earth, he's going, man, I'm trying to multiply grace and peace in you. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy... He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The first part that he says is this idea that you and I have not just received mercy, but we have received great mercy. Mercy is just giving forgiveness when it's in your power uh, to bring judgment. So he's going, not only have we received a little bit of mercy from God, we have seen this great, we have received this great forgiveness from the Lord that has actually caused some things to radically change in our life. I, I, Charles Spurgeon has some commentary on 1 Peter, and I love how he talks about what does this great mercy really mean? What does it really look like? And here's what he says. He says, no other attribute could have helped us if mercy had refused. Like there is nothing else of the Lord that would have helped us in his attributes if he didn't have mercy, if he would have withheld his forgiveness. He says, because as we are by nature, justice condemns us, holiness frowns upon us, power crushes us, truth confirms the threatening of the law and wrath fulfills it. It is from the mercy of our God that all our hope begins. What Peter's about to speak to is this idea that you and I have a living hope, something the world can't take away from us. And and, and Spurgeon's saying, man, his great mercy is what has caused us to have this hope. He goes on later on, he says, his mercy has been abundant mercy. Praise God. His mercy has been abundant mercy. Why? We were defiled with abundant sin and only the multitude of his loving kindness could have put those sins away. 
It's amazing to me that our sin abounds greatly and yet the mercy of God is greater. And it puts our sins away to to now revive us into a living hope. And so I wanna look for a moment, what are the things that we receive? What does he cause in us because of his great mercy? He says the first is a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus in the end is our hope. Like, Like the living hope is him. He defeated death and the grave. And, and now if we, can, if we can fix our heart to go, you are my hope, like there's no other hope except for you, it's living and will never perish because he's defeated death. But if I had to guess, right, is it not super hard to keep your hope really fixed on Christ? When we begin to feel some angst and some hopelessness, it's because we've actually attached our hope to something other than Jesus. When we begin to look at anything else that's in our life and go, you are now my ultimate hope, my family, my job, how people view me, what my accomplishments, my bank account, whatever it is, when we go, now you are my ultimate hope, you are my ultimate security, we feel hopelessness. Jesus is the only living hope. And here's what's amazing, right? Uh, The only thing that can really take our hope away if we don't have hope in Christ is death. In, In the end, if we are not believers... Death is the ultimate stiller of hope because <laughs> then it's all gone. Everything we've said, this is what's most important to me is taken away in death. And he's going, man, but in Christ, if he is our ultimate hope, it's a living hope that, that even death cannot take away. In fact, death becomes a doorway to receive the fullness of that hope. And man, if you and I can live in such a way that Jesus Christ is actually our hope, our main hope, that even death is not scary anymore because it brings us to our hope. We receive the fullness of our hope, which is what he's about to talk about. You and I will walk with such courage as Christians. You will make an impact for the glory of God in your life if you can cling to Jesus as the actual fullness of hope for you and I because it's living hope. Death can't take it away. And so the first thing we receive is a living hope, but also, what does he say? We are born again to this living hope, right? That you and I did receive this new name. Like we are like Peter who goes, I'm willing to die upside down for my faith. I'm willing to watch my friends be burned as candles and I'm not gonna back down because of my faith in Jesus because he's given me a new name. And for you and I, if you've trusted in Christ, you have a new name. You are a son and a daughter of the king. And then he says this, that we've been born again to a living hope. His great mercy has caused us to be born again, given us a living hope. And then lastly, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Here's what is hard for us to grasp, church. What you have in Jesus right now it's just a glimmer, a shadow of what we're actually going to receive one day. Like you and I have not gained yet the fullness of what Christ has given us. There's an inheritance one day that is greater than what we're walking in right now. And, and I think that's hard to live in, right? I mean, we, we hear that and it sounds good, but, but it's hard to walk in that, right? We're busy, we've got our, our life going, our, our roots are dug deep into what we have here. But Peter's going, look, man, if you can set your hope on Jesus, then what you've got to realize is there's this living hope that you will receive one day, and it is him. 
There is something greater ahead for you and I as believers. And if, if, man, what is future for us is what is greatest, and the world can't contain us. That the world can't steal away your joy, your hope, your peace, if, if, if it's not where we find our, our joy and hope and peace. If what is ahead for us is of greatest value, then man, there's nothing that can take that away. Every great kingdom of the world has been defiled by sin and has eventually faded, right? It's perished. There is nothing lasting in this world. And yet he's saying, for the kingdom of God, our inheritance, it will never be defiled. It will never fade away. I remember, I don't know if you guys remember this. I mean, I was like most probably guys that graduated high school. I was like, dude, I'm trying to get out of my parents' house as fast as possible. So I was gone. I was like, I'll sleep on the couch with somebody. I just don't want to live at home anymore. Um, but there's something about, especially in the beginning, uh, when I was, you know, 18, 19, 20, and you'd come, you'd come back home. Right, and, and actually my parents had kept my room the same. And so I'd go in, it's like, man, my trophies were up there, all the same posters, all the things, the same bed sheets. It's like, and there's something that brings a little bit of like rest and peace, right? When you go home, it's like, man, I feel right here. <laughs> I feel a little bit safer here for the moment. It's like the world can't harm me. I'm at mom and dad's house. Now, eventually that became defiled and they made it a sewing room or a craft room. And so even that was gone and perished. But here's the picture that I had as I was studying for this that's pretty profound. And the Lord says that he is guarding, he's keeping for you your, your spot at the table. Like he's given you a new home. He's called you out as a sojourner, as a pilgrim. And he said, at my table, there is now a chair that only you can sit in. There, there is a chair. If you were in Christ, there's a chair at the Lord's table with your name on it, and it will not be moved. There will be no other person that sits in that chair. Right now, there, there is a spot for you, and he's going, this is for you. No one else, this, this is for Matt. No one else gets this spot right here. I'm guarding it, I'm keeping it, and it will never fade away. This is his inheritance, to sit at this table with me and know me forever. And the same is for you. And that feeling of going home and, and feeling at rest or at peace or safe or whatever that feeling is will be multi multiplied a billion times over when we finally rest with the Lord. And that's what, that, that's, that's what Peter's trying to say. He's like, man, this, this great mercy that Christ has given you is that you've been born again, you've been given a new name and you've been given a living hope that the world can't touch and there's an inheritance that's gonna be given to you. It's protected, it's guarded. Your chair has your name and no one's sitting in it until you get there. And so he continues on and he says, in this you rejoice. He's saying all that I've just told you is why we're able to rejoice when things get difficult. It's why we're able to rejoice that I believe in the next 10, 20 years, it becomes extremely difficult and probably against your favor to say that you trust Jesus. I believe my kids are gonna grow up. We're already grow seeing this idea to follow what is countercultural, right? We live in a world right now that's defining what is morally acceptable, defining what is true by really untruth. And they're saying, hey, if you, if you as a Christian are gonna say, this is, this is what's right. If you as a Christian are gonna stand up against anything else that the Bible says is not moral, you and I just hate people. That, that's what's being said about Christians is that we're, we're, we're people of hate. 
that, that we're people that, that, that are just stuck in the, in the old ways and we don't even see things correctly. And, and I believe that's gonna multiply, right? The, the reason we're exiles, the reasons we're pilgrims is because our culture is gonna look different than the culture of the world. If you're really gonna stand up for Jesus, if you're gonna be for real about your faith, you will not fit into this world. And that's hard, right? Because in the end, we wanna fit in. In the end, we don't really wanna be looked at like crazy, weird Christian guy and a girl that's just over the top. Like we, we just wanna kind of fly under the radar. Like I'm gonna have my faith. I'm gonna love people well. Hopefully most, most everybody loves me, likes me because I'm not like a weirdo and I'm just gonna try to do what's right. And, but in the end, I'm not gonna push too hard. And, and what the Bible's teaching is that that's just not an option for you and I. What, what Peter's teaching is that it, as persecution becomes more and more prevalent, you don't get the option anymore to fit in. You don't get the option anymore for people to go, hey, as a Christian, uh, yeah, they're, they're cool. They don't bother me at all. It's like they just kind of have their own private faith. He's saying that we're gonna rejoice in the fact that we're gonna suffer because we are not of this world and we're gonna look a lot different than the world. And so he continues and he says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Verse seven, so the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know what I love that Peter said? He said, we're gonna be grieved by our trials. I, th I think sometimes as, as Christians, we're like, hey, we, we can't grieve. Hard things, consider joy, no grief, it's all good. He's going, no, you're going to be grieved by various trials. There's gonna be some things that come our way, both just in life in general, and maybe in the future, you're gonna be grieved just because you claim the name of Jesus. Your kids are gonna be grieved because they claim the name of Jesus. He's going, and it's okay that you're grieved. But what does the Bible say about godly grief? It says we don't grieve as people without hope, right? We have a living hope, and so we grieve differently. And when things are hard, we're still able to rejoice because this place is not our home. And so, so, so he says, even though you're grieved by various trials, what it's going to do in you and I is test what we speak with our mouth and what is in our heart. Man, if, if there's anything that will prove who really loves Christ, it will be when it's not popular to follow Jesus anymore. It, it'll be, it's happening now. When you go to your workplace, it begins to prove what you really believe about Jesus as to whether or not how hard you try to fit in with the people around you that are not Christians, right? Because if you stand up for your faith and they start pushing against that, we go, man, I don't want that. But he goes, man, if, if our hope is in this living hope, if our inheritance is, if, if the seat at the table is with the Lord, not anywhere with the things of the earth, then we can be untouchable. We can be bold and courageous and we can stand up and go, even if, even if you try to take everything from me, you can't take my hope, you can't take my joy because it's in the living Christ. So he says it tests us, it makes us pure. And what does it result in? Praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is, this is difficult. <laughs> what, he, what he just said is, hey, look, they set you on fire in the street, which is probably not gonna happen for you and I, hopefully, that'd be horrible, but... He's saying no matter what it is, 
All it's doing in you and I is that day that we actually stand face to face with Christ, we will be experiencing that much greater joy, that much greater glory for our King. What, what the world is supposed to be doing to you and I in some sense, and, and listen, man, there's so many good things in the world. There's so many great moments of joy, okay? That's not what Peter's teaching, but what he is teaching is that when it costs to follow Christ, all that's doing is making it more sweet for when me and you stand before Jesus and we see him, we finally receive that promised inheritance. Verse eight, and that's what he says. Though, you, though you've not seen him, you love him. How much more when you do see him? Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Why? Because you know that there's coming a day that you're gonna obtain the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There is something greater ahead for us. And then as he finishes, I, this last part seems confusing. I'm gonna read it and you're gonna go, I'm not real sure what that said. Maybe, maybe you're, you, you're a lot smarter than me. But when I first read it, I was like, what are, what are they saying? But, it, but it's pretty profound. Verse 10 to verse 12 says this, concerning this salvation, everything that Peter has just talked about, that we've been born again to a living hope that's imperishable, unfading, this inheritance that's gonna be given to us. Concerning these things, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in these things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit from heaven things into which angels long to look. Now, here's what that just said. Pretty well like this part of your Bible, this big thick part right here, is all of these prophecies, actually it starts all the way in Genesis. All of these prophecies, all of these men of God who were saying, look, there's a Messiah that's coming. And when he comes, it's gonna change everything. And there's gonna be this kingdom that will, that will live forever and, and the people are gonna be made right and everything that's broken is gonna be fixed. And for thousands of years, generation after generation, they were going, there's a Messiah coming, there's a Messiah coming and they're looking for him. And, and what Peter's saying is we get to live, it wasn't for them, it was for us. Like one thing about Peter for the, like that generation, <laughs> the generation of Jews for thousands of years, they've said this Messiah's coming and then all of a sudden you're Peter and you go, like I'm living in the moment where this, this king has come. But you and I are living in the moment of where the king has come. All of these prophets and all of these generations longing to be set free, he's come. And, and how it ends is this. It says, and this is something that angels long to look into. Angels who are in heaven with the Lord long to look into and understand what the gospel has done in you and I. And here's what I believe they're longing to see. How in the world does God love somebody so much that he would pursue after their enemy, die for them, save them, and then live inside of them? They're like, what, is it, what does it look like? What does it feel like to be a son and a daughter of God bought with Jesus's blood and now have him living in you? It's going, even angels are going, oh, what would it be like to be a son and a daughter of the king? 
the beauty of this idea that, that we've been born again and given a new name and a new, a new direction and a new purpose and that there's an inheritance, a seat at the table waiting for you and I and that you and I had nothing to do with the Lord but in his great love for us came and gave us a new name, a new family and a new purpose. The angels are going, man, I would love to know what does it feel like to be loved in that way by the Lord? And this is the beauty of the gospel. And, and here's what's, what Peter's trying to say to these churches that are feeling persecuted, that are feeling marginalized because of their faith. Dude, this place is not your home. Quit putting all of your chips into the things of the world and trust and put your eyes on something greater, an inheritance that is ahead for you. Live your life with that view and you will be powerful for the kingdom of God. The world will look different because you have your view on your hope that is living. Don't put your hope in other things that fade and that perish that will leave you wanting. Put your hope in Jesus. And so as we end this morning, here's some just quick, practical, I think, action steps, responses. One is this, live out your new purpose and calling and don't be enslaved to past failures. Some of you are neutralized by your sin. And, and, and I'll be honest, there's probably, sometimes there's moments in our life where it's like, we gotta put some things to death. He, he's gonna ask that of you. But some of us just live in it. And we're like, man, I, I can't do anything for the Lord. Look at, look at my past failures. Even as a Christian, look at my past failures. Man, and we're gonna walk like Peter in our new name, our new purpose. Number two, Walk with boldness, even if it means rejection of the world. You have a living hope. You have an inheritance that won't fade. Walk with boldness this week and live for the glory of God. Fulfill your purpose as a son and daughter. And then lastly, when testing comes, when grief comes, when sorrow comes, don't let it own you. Some of us are owned by our situations. But be reminded that you have a real home that has a table with the Lord and a seat with your name on it. Let's pray. And so God, I thank you that you've given us something better than this world. <laughs> Man, I can't imagine at this point in my life not knowing you and not having anything but what this world can give. That is, that is a life without real hope, without real purpose. And so thank you that you've saved us. And God, so often we wanna run back to no hope and no purpose. But when we fix our eyes on you, would our hope be in you, Jesus, the resurrected King. And man, God, I pray for the people in this room. I pray for my own heart that we would, we would stand boldly for our faith. That when it costs and when it's unpopular and it means rejection, that we don't allow the world to have the power to take away our hope. And so make us bold, Lord. And we give you this time. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.